Welcome to the Orange Crest Community Church Podcast. Our hope is that this weekly podcast provides both encouragement and challenge as you move forward in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for listening. Good morning. Good to see you all here. My name is Cody. I'm one of the associate pastors on staff at OCC. Our senior pastor, Josh, is actually in North Fontana this week. And here's a picture of a team of people that he is leading to put on a sports camp for Ridgeview Church in North Fontana. Ridgeview is a church that's a part of our network of churches, which actually just launched in February. And Sports camp was something that we did early on and actually brought back last year, but it was a real sticking point for a lot of young families in our, our church. And so it's, it's fun to watch Josh and a group from our church and actually other churches that, that group is built up from other churches in our network as well, serve another church plant that is like-hearted, like-minded, and really it just expands God's kingdom, his reach within areas that are, are close to us. And so, um, be praying for them this week. They start on Monday tomorrow, receiving kids in the evening, and then they'll do that uh, through Friday. So be in prayer for them. Some of you may know that I had the opportunity about a week and a half ago to travel overseas to participate in a retreat that was aimed at refreshing people who are sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, really like they're on the front lines of this in the Middle East. And it was an incredible experience to uh, just get to know these folks, to worship with them, and uh, to hear God's word together, interact with them. These people who are like, they're like real Christians. You know, like, they're like the spiritual giants. They, they are serving in places of, of the world that are super dangerous. My role for the retreat was to lead worship, but what I found as I was preparing in the weeks leading up to the retreat was I was super intimidated by this task of leading this group of people in worship. When I considered like what they do, what they've made their lives about, the things that they've sacrificed and had left behind to share the good news of Jesus Christ in this part of the world, I was pretty, I was pretty intimidated. I found myself just asking the question, like, how am I going to refresh this group? What could I possibly do? What songs could I sing? What songs do they even sing in the Middle East? Do they have... Chris Tomlin, do they have, you know, like all the contemporary worship stuff that we do here at OCC? And, and when the retreat started uh, two weeks ago, Monday, I quickly was reminded of just the fact that these are people. And these perspectives that I had kind of, I had put them up on a pedestal of being these spiritual giants, these, these heroes of the faith. And I think that we are to honor these people. Actually, the scripture says that we're to honor people like them who risk their lives for the sake of the gospel. But again, I was, my, that attitude and perspective was shattered pretty quickly as I got to interact with them. I got to spend time with their kids and hear their amazing stories. They were just normal people. They didn't see themselves as these, again, spiritual giants or heroes. In fact, when one of the leaders who was speaking during the week of the retreat shared that at the, at the beginning of one of his talks, guess what they all did? They just burst into laughter. And, and he was being very genuine and very serious, but they didn't see themselves that way. They, they somehow have been able to maintain a very accurate view of themselves and the God that had called them to serve in these very different parts of the world. And so I share that just as an update. That's where I've been the past couple of weeks. And 
Uh, it was an it was an incredible experience. Also, I think it'll segue well into our message this morning because this idea of gaining and then maintaining an accurate view of who we are and who God is is the overarching principle that we're looking at this morning. So we're in the fourth week of this message series called Stories to Live By. And throughout this series, we've been looking at the stories that Jesus shared with his disciples and then really anybody who would gather to listen when he was doing his public ministry on the earth. These stories or parables of Jesus, they're, they're meant to bring to life some eternal truths that we'd be wise to build our lives on. They're not meant to entertain, though they can be entertaining, and they're not meant to teach us helpful ideas, though they do that. They're really meant to address the issues of our hearts. That's what Jesus was after. Jesus was after the hearts of people. And I wanted to share a diagram with you this morning. You maybe have seen this if you've been around OCC any length of time. Um, This is something that we refer to because as we look at God's word and as we deal with these issues of life, this kind of helps set the framework. It's a lens with which we can view the realities that we find in scripture. Harold Bullock, who created this diagram, describes the heart not as the muscle that pumps blood into the rest of our body, but more like the cockpit of our lives. And so you can see in this picture, this cockpit has what look like very important and very complex dials and buttons and screens and levers. This guy has to be really qualified to be in that seat. And then, you know, let alone he's 30,000 feet above the earth. And there's a reason why we harden and we lock down the doorways that go into the cockpit of an airplane. And it's because if the wrong people get inside, who maybe don't have the same skill, skill set or have an ill intent, it can cause serious damage. And, and so it is with our heart. Our heart is the same way. Our heart is the deepest part of who we are. It's our innermost being where we meditate on the issues of life. It's where our desires, both good and bad, our strategies that we put together for actually getting the things that we desire, our decisions, and then finally our actions. It's where those all stem from. To give you an idea of what we're dealing with when the scripture talks about the heart, look at what Jeremiah 17.9 says about the heart. The heart is deceitful above all things. Who can know it? Psalms 4.23 says, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. What Jesus taught, again, while he was walking the earth, was aimed at the heart. Because what we find is as we get into the Bible, there is only one person who is fit to be in the cockpit piloting our lives, and it is not us. Proverbs 21.2 says, all a man's ways seem right to him. But the Lord weighs the heart. Proverbs 14.12 says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. So when I read those passages, what I hear God saying is, I am not fit to pilot my life. I, I can't know my heart. I can't know what's going on in there. This thing from which everything I do flows out of. No matter what thoughts or perspectives I muster up or even pick up about how I think life works, 
my heart, the cockpit of my life, the place where everything I do flows from, needs someone far more qualified to run it. This morning we're going to continue on looking at some, another parable, and this one from the Gospel of Luke. It's called The Pharisee and the Tax Collector. And my hope is that as we dig into this passage, we'll gain a more accurate view of who we are and who God is that begins to take root in our hearts. Initially gaining and then maintaining an accurate view of who God is and who we are is a major breakthrough for understanding life. And with God's help, this leads us to daily hand over the keys to our hearts, to the one who is fit to be in the driver's seat. So I'd like to pray before we get into the message this morning. Would you pray with me? God, we just are grateful for your presence here, for a place to come and to sing and proclaim truth, be reminded of who you are, God, the things that you have accomplished, and then now who we are in light of what you've accomplished. And we're grateful to be able to speak these things to one another on a Sunday morning and be reminded that we are in this together, and God, you've been very kind and gracious to us all. Would you, Lord, open your word to us this morning and and help us to see you through the correct lens, to see ourselves through the correct lens, and that, that is scripture. Would your word speak clearly this morning, God? I ask in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So I'd like to invite you to go ahead and pull out your listening guide this morning. It's in your program. And we're going to start by looking at the passage we're taking a look at this morning. It's uh, Luke 18, 9 through 14. It says, To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, and the other a tax collector. So just a little context for you guys before we move forward. Um, the tax collector, I'm sorry, the Pharisee, start with the Pharisee. The Pharisee was one of, they're one of the two main religious leaders, main religious groups of their day in uh, Israel. They would have been the real spiritual guys amongst the Jewish people. The tax collector, on the other hand, was probably the most despised profession that you could have in first century Judea. They were Jewish individuals who, in collaboration with the Roman oppressors, would collect taxes on behalf of the Roman government. So needless to say, these guys were not, they weren't liked by a lot of people. They were pretty hated, actually. They were, they were considered traitors amongst other Jewish people. Jesus continues, says the Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. So does anybody else have that like obvious cringe moment when you read the first part of that passage? Where you're just like, oh gosh, okay guy, we get it, you're very spiritual. Good for you, good for you. It's, it, when we're let in on the Pharisee's view, his perspective, it's super easy to see that it's skewed. That it is, has an arrogant and self-righteous edge to it. Look at what Jesus says next. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Now again, in those days, this guy was the worst of the worst. 
And it actually would have been pretty easy, and you would have been justified to be looking down on him because of the decisions he'd made, because of the profession he'd chose or had gotten into, the things that he had done against the Jewish people. But in the passage, Jesus doesn't focus on those things. But he highlights the tax collector's brokenness and humility as he approached God in prayer. It's obvious from reading that that Jesus is saying, this is right. And we could stop there. We could say, hey, we're good. You guys go home, have a great day. We'll sing one more song. Don't be the Pharisee, be the tax collector. But we can't do that. (laughs) The self-righteous and prideful view, oh, it's bad, yeah. The rumble and brokenness before God, yes, that's good. Let's, Let's do that. And if we were reading these verses at home, it'd be pretty easy to understand the do's and the don'ts, close the book, and leave feeling pretty good about ourselves, especially in light of the Pharisees' attitude and approach. But here is the major problem. I am the Pharisee. You are the Pharisee. We are the Pharisee. And as hard as that is to hear, this is where we all start. We are born into this world with a selfish, arrogant, and prideful approach to life that runs in complete opposition to who God is, what he's done, and what he's, especially what he's done for us. In fact, even after we become Christ followers, we struggle each and every day to maintain an accurate view and perspective of ourselves and God. And it's because even after we initially yield our hearts and lives to God, and he moves in like he promises to do, and begins to war against those evil desires within us, we still have a divided heart. And we will have a divided heart until we die and are united with Christ for eternity. So, right now, we have a problem that needs addressing, and we need help. As much as I don't want to admit it, I struggle daily with an attitude of pride, self-righteousness, and arrogance. I don't know about you guys, but I act like a Pharisee basically every single morning. These attitudes bubble up in my heart toward my children when they wake me up too early. They spill their milk or their cereal for the hundredth time. They cannot, for the life of them, respond to one another in kindness. And we've been working on this stuff like all the time. It's just this constant reminder that I'm having to to give them. And I find myself thinking, come on, we've been through this. Why can't you figure this out? What's wrong with you? I think in my heart, I'm glad I'm not like them. (laughs) It happens with my wife. Maybe she's had a hard day parenting the four crazies that we have in our house. Or she's feeling just overwhelmed by all that's on her plate. And there is a not-so-subtle part of me when I come home to this that just says, come on, this is our reality. Figure it out. And as I say that out loud, I have the same cringe moment that I have when I read that first verse of the Pharisee. The, I'm glad I'm not like them. The Pharisee is me. 
it's funny in our house, and this is kind of just a sidebar, just a, a fun fact of the way that we operate in the mornings. Cassie and I, obviously, we often have to remind ourselves and we tell each other, it seems like you were surprised by the four small people living in our house. Every morning we wake up surprised by these little people that need attention, these little tax collectors. Um, (laughs) and, And how often do we fall into this attitude and perspective? How many of us fall prey to this? All the time. We all do. We fall prey toward our children, toward a coworker or a boss, a spouse, parent or sibling, teacher or professor, even our closest friends. And when we take a real inventory of this area, we will find that it's rampant. When we believe that we've attained some level of spiritual maturity, or even in matters of personality, wiring, we can begin to slip into this thinking and in our hearts begin to say, man, I'm glad I'm not like them. It's really ugly. Or how about about when you've been hurt by somebody? Somebody has done something to you that is obviously wrong. That's when, at least for me, maintaining an accurate view is the most difficult. Because by nature, we want justice. How dare they do that to me? Man, I'm glad I'm not like that. And if this is in us, and I think we'll all agree that this is in us, again, we we really need help. And here's why. Take a look at the final verse of this passage. Jesus says, I tell you the truth. I tell you that this man, speaking of the tax collector, rather than the other, the Pharisee, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. The tax collector went home justified before God. The Pharisee was left with with nothing. He is left, again, still in sin. And this is the uh uh-oh moment for us Pharisees when we read that passage. Jesus is giving a very clear warning. We do not want to adopt the perspective of the Pharisee. We have to somehow be like the tax collector, maintaining an attitude of humility and brokenness over our sin before God. The tax collector somehow understood his desperate need for God's mercy and help. He wasn't looking around trying to justify his actions by pointing out someone who was worse than he was. And these, these truths, these stories that we find in Scripture, they're hard. Like, that's hard to swallow. It's hard to wrestle with. And something that's helpful for me to remember as I get into God's word, and I was reminded of it this week, especially in light of this message, is that the truth of the Bible levels the playing field. It levels the playing field for all people, regardless of your upbringing, your heritage, your resources, your personality, your gifting, wiring, and the list goes on. It places us all on the same plane and leaves us without a leg to stand on. Take a look at this passage from Ephesians. Here, the Apostle Paul is just talking to some normal church folks like you and I, and he's trying to help them gain a more accurate perspective of who they are and who God is. Paul says, as for you, 
You were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air. And this ruler of the kingdom of the air, this is speaking of Satan, who is the very real enemy of God and the very real enemy of every Christ follower. He's the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Playing field leveled, right? No one else can stand up and say, but check out what I've done. Look at what I've accomplished. We don't have a leg to stand on. Apart from the atoning work of Jesus Christ on the cross for our sins, and that word atoning just means he paid a debt that we could never pay on our behalf when he died on the cross for the sins of the world. Apart from that, we're hopeless, every one of us. But there's good news. Check out the rest of this passage from Ephesians. It says, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And then here's the kicker of this passage. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. We have nothing to point to beyond God's grace and mercy. We cannot boast. And if this is true... Who am I to believe for a second that I've got life for this being a Christian thing figured out? I'm that rotten, sinful tax collector. I have no deeds, no works to point to. And more than that, I cannot hide in the sinful shadow of another. I'm exposed. We are exposed without a leg to stand on and desperate for God's mercy. And that passage is so helpful. For a moment, it does realign our perspectives and our view of who God is and who we are, yet we still struggle every day with pride, arrogance, and self-righteousness. So what do we do? What, what can we do? What, how, how do I gain and maintain an accurate view of myself and God? How do I avoid falling prey to this perspective that the Pharisee held? How do I avoid living with a view of myself and God that leaves me unjustified before him and still without hope? Again, I'd like to draw your attention to the listening guide. We're going to get into it now. You're going to have some notes to take. So follow along in your listening guide. First, to gain and maintain an accurate view, we must pray and ask God to reveal himself to us. Gaining an accurate view of who God is only comes from him as we get into the Bible and as we ask him to reveal himself to us. We see this play out in Matthew 16, 16 through 17. Jesus asks his disciples, 
But what about you? He asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter, one of his disciples, answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. An accurate view of who God is comes from him. Next, we respond to God's free gift of grace and mercy. This is where it all starts. This is where it starts for every Christ follower. As we gain an accurate view of who God is through his word and as he reveals it to us, the only reasonable response is to yield to him by accepting and believing in Jesus Christ, to hand over the keys to our lives and our hearts to the one who's fit to be in the driver's seat. The Bible promises in Romans 10.9 that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And, and maybe you've never done that before. If you'd like to learn more about what that means, what it means to, to choose Christ, to respond to the gospel, I'd love to have a conversation with you after, after service today, and others from our staff would also. You can also mark that on your connection card if you'd rather you know, not be bombarded by people. And somebody will contact you this week and help you take the first step on that journey. But that is where it begins for everybody. Next, we have to get into God's word daily. Daily read God's word, the Bible. Again, this is where we're reminded of reality. The reality of who we are, of who God is, and what he's done. It levels the playing field. And every day it leads us to choose and then maintain an accurate view. If we let it penetrate our hearts. For those of us who have already responded to the gospel and have received this free gift of grace and mercy, what we find often is being the Pharisee is far more subtle than we realize. We still struggle, again, with this divided heart to fight off self-righteousness, pride, and arrogance, these attitudes that just drive a wedge into our lives. For us, we too must daily read God's word. This is like the daily reset button for Christ followers. It's the thing that helps us reorient our perspectives and our views in line with reality. I was reminded of the story of Alice in Wonderland yesterday. Um, it's the part of the story where Alice is just too big to fit into the door in front of her. And the only way she's able to get through it is by drinking a potion that actually makes her smaller. God's word is that drink for us. It's the only place that we actually get the view that allows us to walk through the doors that God has opened to us. We have to humble ourselves. Is there a breakthrough that you're missing because you're just too big for your britches? Is there an area of life, an arena of life, where you need to humble yourself, a relationship, a difficult situation, a responsibility that you've been given at work or school? Is there an area where you need to be leveled again by the reality found in God's word?
ask God to reveal you these things to you this week. That is a challenge. Ask God to reveal where we've begun thinking too highly of ourselves, where we've become inflated and really need some humiliation. For us Christ followers, again, these things are subtle. And I think one of the most subtle and then dangerous ways that these skewed perspectives can creep in is the like box check syndrome that we can easily fall into. The I went to church today, check. I read my Bible today, check. I prayed today, check. I gave at church, check. These are all great things, and we need to do them. If we actually believe the realities of who God is, the things that he said he is and has done and accomplished, if we believe those things, we should do these things. But we have to be sure that these religious activities are actually having an impact on our hearts. And this requires us being real honest, real often with ourselves and others. These religious activities are empty and they must stem, if they don't stem, from an overflowing gratitude for what God has done for us through his son, Jesus Christ. I read a a helpful quote related to this in a commentary this week, and sorry, it's not on the screen, so I'll read it to you guys. It says, the religion of Christ may be termed a great heart work. A religion that does not touch and control the heart is worthless. A man will derive no benefit from a religion that does not affect his heart and whole life. I'm going to read that one more time. The religion of Christ may be termed a great heart work which is what we're looking at this morning. That's why we looked at the heart diagram. A religion that does not touch and control the heart is worthless. A man will derive no benefit from a religion that does not affect his heart and whole life. Next, as we get into God's word, as we have our view realigned with reality, and then as we go through our day, we have to constantly call to mind God's grace and forgiveness constantly call to mind. Think about your story. Think about what God has done for you. What God has saved you from. The riches of his mercy that he has poured out on us through his son, Jesus Christ. Bring those things to mind and let them break you in humility before God. Be the tax collector. Find yourself there often, humbled by what God has done for you. Humility and brokenness before God are where we gain an accurate view. I once heard it said that the gate of heaven is so low that no one can enter it except on their knees. And we know that to be true. We have to bow before God, before Almighty God, the creator of heaven and earth, who out of his kindness has allowed us to be a part of a story that he's writing that will echo through eternity. Finally, to maintain an accurate view, we must refuse to look down on others in pride. Take a look at this warning from Proverbs. Proverbs 21.4 says, Haughty eyes and a proud heart, the lamp of the wicked, are sin. 
Now, I doubt anybody has used the term haughty eyes this week. If you had, I really want you to raise your hand, just so I know. It's just not something we say. It's not a common term. But it just means eyes that look down on others in pride. And the scripture says that these two things, haughty eyes and a proud heart, they're the lamp of the wicked. An arrogant perspective and a prideful heart are actually the light by which the wicked navigate this life. And we are warned not to adopt this perspective. Have a look at these verses from another chapter in Proverbs. Proverbs six sixteen through 19. There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. And the first on the list is haughty eyes. A lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, a false witness who pours out lies, and a man who stirs up dissension amongst the brothers. Now, I don't want to put words in God's mouth. I don't think there's necessarily a specific reason why haughty eyes made the top of the list, but I do think it's worth considering. This is a major issue that God hates. I don't want to be on that side of God. And, and again, we know the backdrop to all these things is that we're, we're forgiven of everything we could possibly do that would be in opposition to God and the reality that we find in Scripture. But there's so much freedom and grace that we find in this life as we choose humility. There's another Scripture, and it's not on the screen, that says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And so what is it for you? What has made the list of things that you turn your nose up at? What has made the list of things that you look down on in arrogance and pride, maybe even subconsciously? Again, for me, it's a lot of times it's my kids when I have to have the same conversation with them over and over. When my wife isn't as upbeat as I think she should be, or is struggling with discouragement. She's tired. I wonder why. I wonder how she could be possibly tired. Toward my coworkers or my close friends, when they're not like me or they don't think like me. Toward other parents that I see when I'm out and about who can't seem to control their children. Toward my siblings. I have two older brothers, and, and they're great. They're godly men, but they, we have different approaches to life. And so they make decisions that I may not agree with and how quickly I can put myself above them. Even towards our, our fellow Christians, maybe they're struggling in an area that you've had a little bit of um, victory in. How quickly do we raise ourselves above them? It's cringeworthy, and I am so guilty of this. And I do not want these attitudes to be the light by which I navigate my life my relationships, parenting, marriage, and my friendships. I, I, really, I really do want to maintain an accurate view of myself before God. I want to invite Jared and the worship team up. And in closing, we do want to maintain an accurate view. I think we all agree that we, we want to maintain this view before God. We want to be humble. We want to approach God in gratitude for what he's done. So in closing, I want to look at this passage one more time from Ephesians. And as we look at this passage, again, 
let this passage inform your viewpoint. Let these truths be the lamp by which you guide or light the path of life this week. So again, Paul says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world, and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But God, because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. What an incredible God we have. What a gracious and merciful God we have. I'd like to suggest some next steps in response uh, to the message today. Again, first, maybe you've never committed your life to Christ. And as I said, this is really the starting point for gaining an accurate view and being able to approach life in a way that brings good, it brings blessing, and it helps you stay in the realm of reality. But maybe today's the day that you want to commit your life to Christ for the first time or just ask a question. Again, I or myself or the other staff members would love to have a conversation with you about that. Next, Ask God to show me where I've become arrogant. Confess it and commit to change. So maybe before you launch into the week, maybe you need to write down the list. Maybe there are are people, there are situations that you find yourself being arrogant or or prideful toward. We're warned that we we have to get rid of that and ask God for help. And so let's do that this week. There's another one that's blank. If God spoke to you specifically about something, you can write that down. But I'd like to just pray as we close, and then we'll we'll sing another song. Father, we just marvel, God, in in the reality of who you are and what you've done. Thank you, God, for the truth of your word, that it does reach into our hearts, and it does not let us play games with you. And Lord, would you help us this week to really allow you to identify some areas that we, we maybe have grown too big in our own minds. Maybe there's an area of life that we've not been able to make traction in because there's arrogance or pride or self-righteousness there. Would you reveal those things to us this week, God, and would we be quick to repent of those things and move aggressively towards what is right? Being humble before you, God, and, and just grateful for what you've done. Thank you for the time to worship you today and just to gather and to interact with those closest to us, God. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We pray you've been encouraged by the message and equipped to move forward in obedience to God's word. 
Join us again next week for another Orange Crest Community Church podcast.